Welcome to episode 53 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Joshua Novi, resident at Northwell Health and Secretary Treasurer of RSA, speaks with Dr. Ruben Strayer, Associate Medical Director of Emergency Medicine at Maimonides Medical Center. Today, Drs. Novi and Strayer discuss the use of opioids in the emergency department. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the AAEM RSA podcast series. I'm Joshua Novi, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ruben Strayer, Associate Medical Director of Emergency Medicine at Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Strayer. It's a pleasure to be here, Josh. Thank you for inviting me. So in 2016, prescription opioids were identified as a culprit substance in more than 14,000 overdose-related deaths in the United States. Uh, with fentanyl now surpassing heroin as the number one substance identified in overdose fatalities, the president has declared the alarming opioid overdose death toll a public health emergency. Given the non-trivial proportion of prescription opioids in the death toll, some have placed blame on physician prescribing habits, and CMS has removed pain management scores from the HCAP survey reimbursement formulas in response to concern that this was prompting overly aggressive use of opioids in the post-acute setting. AAEM has stated in a 2017 white paper that emergency medicine clinicians are uniquely positioned to combat the opioid epidemic. For a patient who presents with acute pain, or for whom a chronic condition's symptom complex includes pain, the use of narcotic analgesia to relieve pain becomes a competing interest with our aversion to introduce risk factors for addiction. Dr. Strayer, could you share with us your thoughts on the problem as you have seen it in the urban setting, and what measures do you recommend emergency clinicians implement to manage acute pain before advancing therapy to opioid analgesics? So that's a big question. The priority for all physicians is not to reduce opioid use per se in terms of using it for an analgesic. It's to reduce opioid harms. So opioids are terrific and effective treatments for acute pain. And in a person who is unlikely to be harmed by a dose of morphine in the emergency department, if they have severe acute pain, it is reasonable and appropriate to treat that patient with a dose of intravenous or intramuscular or subcutaneous or nebulized or whatever morphine in the emergency department. There's nothing wrong with that. And we've been doing that for decades appropriately. The problem comes in a couple of different scenarios. Firstly, there are patients who present to the emergency department who are being harmed by opioids. They're taking opioids every day and they have chronic pain often. Some of them are um, revealed opioid misusers. And this is a different group. And since these folks are being harmed by opioids, the right approach is to use opioid alternatives in this group and try to get these folks into treatment so they can reduce their opioid use, ideally uh, break free of uh, their opioid use and pursue other, other parts of their life besides trying to score opioids, which is what many folks who are addicted to opioids spend all of their days doing. So there are the folks who are already using opioids every day. These folks should be treated differently than people who are opioid naive. In the opioid naive, they are very unlikely to be harmed by a dose of morphine in the emergency department or two doses of morphine in the emergency department. And so 
if you, Josh, came to my emergency department as a presumably opioid-naive person with a broken leg, you can be sure that I would be treating you with intravenous morphine to make sure that you don't have any pain. However, the harm comes with opioid-naive people in the prescription because it's the duration of exposure to opioids that it turns out causes the problems. It's what leads some people down the path to misuse. Not most people. Most people, you give them 20 Percocets and they use some of those Percocets and the rest hang out in their medicine cabinet or get tossed or whatever and there's no problem. But some of those folks are set down the path to misuse by your prescription. So one of the concepts that I try to emphasize is that we should be doing our best to minimize the likelihood that we will turn opioid-naive people into opioid misusers, which we have been doing for the past 20 years, no question. To reduce the likelihood of doing that, we should be much more judicious about uh, who we send home with opioids and then make our prescription much less likely to cause harm. And there is a variety of ways we can do that. Wow. So I think it's interesting that you bring up the idea that you may send someone home with 20 Percocets and they may not use all of them. They may toss the the tablets that they no longer need. Some sources have cited prescription opioid diversion as a contributor to the opioid crisis. Would it be inappropriate for you as the physician to instruct a patient who's being discharged with such a prescription um, to discard unneeded pills if their baseline comfort resolves? And how should that discussion be approached? Not only is it appropriate, it's essential. Unused opioid pills constitute a significant number of, or a significant fraction of the opioids that are misused in this country, especially by young people. So a major source of opioids by, for teenagers, for teenagers, is their parents' and grandparents' unused pills. So every time you write an opioid script, You should have a shared decision-making conversation with your patient and a harms conversation with your patient. And that should include the instruction that all unused pills should be discarded, either by taking them back to the pharmacy. There are fancy uh, pill-disposing packets that you can get, or you can just flush them. And that should be done as soon as you no longer need them. Okay, so shared decision-making, engaging the patient in their care and their discharge. It's such an essential part of the physician-patient relationship as well, allowing patients to basically engage in, in their own medical care, which this seems to be a part of. Another important thing that, that I personally have seen become a challenge is that patients who have a prior, uh, a prior history of opioid use or substance use, uh, they may come to the emergency department either with sincere pain, genuine organic pain, or they may be malingering, you know, for secondary gain to uh, satisfy their craving for substance. So what would your recommendations be for the management of these kinds of patients who have either a documented history or who you suspect the nature of their pain that they're complaining about is inconsistent with an injury pattern that they're reporting? Again, a complicated question. What you call organic pain and malingering are not so easily divided. People who use opioids every day are harmed by those opioids in many ways. And one of the ways that they're harmed is that they become hyperalgesic, which means that if they suffer any normal painful stimulus that uh, would be acceptable uh, to you or me, and we wouldn't suffer unduly from that painful stimulus because they use opioids every day, their receptors are upregulated, and they suffer tremendously from 
comparatively unpainful stimuli. So a lot of these folks who are using opioids every day who present in pain, they are experiencing severe pain. To treat that pain, though, with more opioids on some level perpetuates the problem. And so, in my view, these patients should be treated with opioid alternatives and referred to help to reduce their opioid use because in many of these cases, the problem is the opioids. Now, there's other forms of malingering. So there are, uh, this has to do with what I call the opioid misuse spectrum. And so on the far right, let's say, of the spectrum are opioid diverters. So these are folks who actually, they are lying to you about pain that they have. They don't have pain. They want a prescription that they can fill and then sell on the street. These folks are simple criminals. And then you have recreational users who want to get high. I think that this is actually a comparatively small number uh, of folks that come to the emergency department looking for a dose of IV dilaudid to get high. They definitely are out there. We've all seen them. But I think that's a pretty small number in the scheme of things. The vast majority of folks who present strike you as deceptive, seem to be exaggerating their pain. These are people who are daily opioid users and who are experiencing some combination of opioid-induced hyperalgesic chronic pain and opioid withdrawal. It's very difficult to tease all this out in the emergency department. It doesn't, I don't think, matter that much uh, what exactly is underlying it because the, re- the treatments are really all the same, which is these patients should be weaned off of opioids. This has to be done by a physician who would assume ongoing care for, the res- for that patient. It's not something we're going to do in the emergency department, but um, I think the right way to approach them is to be frank about what you think is going on, tell them that you think that they're being harmed by opioids and therefore you are not going to use opioids in the ED or by prescription and that you want to address their symptoms, but you're going to do so with opioid alternatives. So harm reduction is really the name of the game amidst this opioid crisis. You know, we hear about hospitals who are discharging patients with naloxone kits and uh, you know, making, making sure that, you know, they're getting these referrals and stuff, which is hugely important. What are your thoughts on the initiation of medication-assisted treatment in the emergency department for these kinds of patients? A lot of concepts you just sort of group together there. So harm reduction applies mostly to revealed opioid misusers. So they know that they're misusing opioids. I know they're misusing opioids. They know that I know that they're misusing opioids. And so we can engage in a discussion and implement therapies that are designed not to necessarily curtail their opioid use if they're not willing to do so, but to reduce the likelihood that they'll be harmed by the opioids that they are unwilling to not stop using. And there are a whole slew of harm reduction techniques available to emergency doctors and other emergency providers to manage revealed opioid misusers. The paradigmatic example is the person who comes in after opioid overdose. Perhaps they got Narcan in the field and now they come in now withdrawing from Narcan. Uh, These patients are, of course, all revealed as opioid misusers, but come in a spectrum of willingness to enter into addiction treatment, and in fact, most of them are not willing to enter into treatment. So if they're not willing to be treated for opioid addiction outright, which is where I group um, the medication-assisted therapy, which is what you just spoke of, I don't think of that as harm reduction per se, although, of course, it is harm reduction, 
but I see that as a step beyond harm reduction. You're now actually treating opioid addiction, in this case with uh, medications, uh, opioid replacement therapy, buprenorphine or methadone. We can initiate buprenorphine in the emergency department, and I think uh, we should be doing this. But um, the harm reduction techniques, the most famous is the one that you just mentioned, which is take-home naloxone. I think this is a great idea and should be offered to all all folks who come to the emergency department who are high risk to die from opioid overdose or who are in contact with people who are at high risk to die from opioid overdose. The most obvious of that group is the folks who come in after non-fatal overdose. People who come in after non-fatal overdose are obviously at very high risk to have fatal overdose. So they should all be discharged with take-home naloxone. People who are on very high doses of opioids, usually prescribed at home, should be discharged with take-home naloxone. Folks who were recently incarcerated or recently had a big reduction in their opioid use, these these folks who had to stop using for whatever period and are now using again, they're at very high, high risk because they think that they can take this much heroin, but they can't anymore because they're not tolerant anymore. They're at very high risk. Encouraging them to uh, use safe injection practices, asking them about how they inject, and there's a variety of important questions you can ask to encourage safe injection practices, screening them for HIV and hep C, referring them to your local needle exchange programs. These are all really great ways to implement harm reduction techniques in revealed but unwilling misusers. And then the willing the misusers, the, the misusers who are not only revealed as misusers but willing to enter into treatment, that's the place for um, ED-initiated buprenorphine. Wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot of important stuff in there. Thank you for going through the, the harm reduction techniques that are you know within our disposal. One other question I wanted to ask about the efficacy and potency of different opioids in managing pain, because as, you, as I'm sure you're aware, not all opioids are created equally. And when the use of opioids for acute pain is necessary, and it often is, under what circumstances would it be appropriate to advance therapy to a more potent agent versus just increasing the dose? The short answer to that question is that it's never necessary to escalate to a quote-unquote more potent opioid. Let's just take a typical example. Fentanyl is far more potent than morphine, but it's not more effective. Potency only has to do with dosing. So if you start with four milligrams of morphine and that doesn't do enough for you as a patient, you're still in pain, you can dose another four milligrams of morphine. Quote unquote, escalating to fentanyl is not an escalation at all. There are some cases when the side effects of one opioid or another might be more or less tolerable to a specific patient. So for example, morphine is more histaminergic than fentanyl, and sometimes that makes a difference, perhaps to a patient with borderline blood pressure, for example, or someone who's just more um, histamine sensitive. But uh, there is no one whose pain can't be controlled with an adequate dose of morphine. The way that people get confused about this mostly has to do with hydromorphone, because it's very typical for us to dose four to five milligrams of morphine initially, or to dose one milligram of hydromorphone. And people find that patients get more analgesia with one milligram of hydromorphone than four of morphine. The problem there, the error, is that one milligram of hydromorphone is not equivalent to four milligrams of morphine. It's equivalent to eight milligrams of morphine. And many people don't understand that. So they think that hydromorphone is more effective than morphine. It's not more effective. It's more potent. 
but the solution for potency is just dosing. So there's never a reason to so-called escalate to a more potent analgesic, a more potent opioid. There are some patients who do better with one opioid over another, and those preferences or that experience should be taken into account. But I very rarely use alternatives to morphine in my practice. And the reason is that morphine is the longest acting of the commonly used parenteral opioids. And when I dose an opioid in the emergency department, I want that patient to be analgesed for as long as possible because I know that it's going to be hard for me and my nurses to circle back to that patient because we're really busy. So a lot of my residents like to use fentanyl. I have no idea why. I think it's just because it's, it's sexy. But fentanyl wears off in 30 minutes. What's the point of that? Um, unless the painful stimulus is going to go away in 30 minutes, which it almost never does, then it just doesn't make sense to me that you would use a short-acting opioid. Maybe if someone is hemodynamically tenuous, it makes more sense. But in your normal emergency department patient who has uh, severe pain of any etiology, who's going to be in the department for a few hours, I think the right, um, the right parenteral opioid is, is morphine because of its long duration of action. And if four milligrams isn't enough, in 10 minutes, give another four. Okay. Uh, we're almost out of time here, so I'd like to wrap things up with one more question. Uh, if you had just one minute to advise a student or an intern on discerning between the different kinds of pain and whether that can be managed with opioids or if it's a type of pain that is better approached by treating with NSAIDs or non-opioid analgesia, what would you want them to know before entering the room? And what would you want them to know upon returning from that patient encounter and presenting to you? Difficult to summarize in one minute. There are a variety of types of pain that are uniquely susceptible, uniquely treated with NSAIDs. Biliary colic, renal colic, dysmenorrhea, these uh, painful syndromes are uniquely suited and uniquely treated by NSAIDs. NSAIDs are more effective than opioids for, for these types of pain. But for severe pain, the more severe the pain, the less likely that that pain will be adequately treated by NSAIDs or acetaminophen. And so then the question then becomes, how likely is this patient to be harmed by a dose of opioids. And again, patients who are opioid naive, which still is most patients who come to the emergency department with severe pain, they are extremely unlikely to be harmed by a dose of morphine, for example, or a dose of fentanyl or a dose of dilaudid. So there's no problem there with giving them that dose right off the bat to alleviate suffering, which is one of our core mandates. In patients who are daily opioid users or former opioid misusers, that's a whole different story. They are much more likely to be harmed by opioids, and in those patients, we should be using opioid alternatives. So what I want to know when I send my med student into the room is know about the risk factors for misuse. Think about whether the person in front of you is misusing or is at very high risk to be harmed by opioids and factor that into your, uh, your calculation when deciding whether or not you're going to recommend to me that we treat that patient with opioids or an opioid alternative. Thank you again so much for joining us today, Dr. Strayer. It's truly a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, 
please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.